Welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast, the most influential and listened to podcast in auto detailing. Welcome to the community. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast. This is Nick. You can find us at hypercleanstore.com or go to the Hyperclean Specialist Group on Facebook. Got a solo episode today. Going to talk a little cars, going to have a little business advice at the end. So let's get started. Big news in the car world. Obviously, many of you have probably heard it, but let's talk about it. Ford basically comes out and says, we're going to postpone $12 billion of investment into our EV program. Huh. When I was doing these episodes more regularly, I kind of told everybody, this isn't working. It's obvious that it isn't working. They've already cut half of the production of Ford Lightning trucks next year. They were going to do something like 3,200 or 3,600 uh, Ford Lightnings a week, and they've already cut that in half. And I'm assuming it's going to be cut in half from there by the, the end of the first quarter or midway through next year. What does this tell us? Well, first of all, hybrid's always been the answer. We've talked about it on this podcast that hybrid is the answer. Uh, there's no question that electric is going to be the future at some point. The infrastructure is not there. The money's not there. The consumer's not there. Nobody trusts battery technology, and rightfully so. This whole idea that battery technology is great as we sit here today is just an out-and-out lie. It doesn't matter who tells you it's great. Let me give you some data we have here locally in the desert. You take a Lucid, a Tesla, a Rivian, it doesn't matter. You start talking about 110 degrees in the middle of the summer, and all of a sudden your range is half what it's supposed to be. Go to the cold climates in the middle of winter. You see people having their batteries. Uh, I just, just saw this with, with a client of mine. They had their Tesla parked up in Montana at the airport, and when they checked on their battery, their battery was draining massively to the point where they were going to be gone for two weeks. They didn't know if the battery was actually going to last, and they went to the to the airport with over 280 miles of range left. So it just started draining the battery, and I know what everybody's thinking. Well, if you turn this off, if you turn that off, and, and okay, that's fine, but the car sits there parked. Should it be draining down to 50 miles of range left when nothing's been happening? The car hasn't been driven, and the car's not smart enough to shut itself down and start to conserve energy? The battery technology is just not where everybody says it is. And the other part of it now that people aren't talking about and aren't even discussing is the consumer isn't there. The vast majority of people that want to buy electric cars have already bought them. They've already bought them. Okay? So you're not going to go steal all of Tesla's clients just because Kia starts making battery vehicles. That isn't going to happen. They're going to be loyal to Tesla, and Tesla's skating by. You know, they're not massively profitable. They're still struggling on some fronts. And they're the leader in the industry by a landslide. And so we live in this world where everybody wants to tell me this is going to happen and that's going to happen and you don't understand. And I've been told by all these car experts that, that you know, it's inevitable. This is, it could be inevitable. But there's a bunch of hoops to jump through here, number one being infrastructure of how you're going to get these things charged consistently. Because remember, not everybody lives in a house. You look at New York City, okay? How many people park on the street in Philadelphia? 
How many people live in an apartment in Las Vegas or Florida or, or wherever? You got to have some solutions. And so Ford wants to dump $12 billion into EV. There's nowhere to charge the things. There's no way to take a, a competent road trip because it, every charger that works is like 50% of them. And you don't know which one works. And a lot of people don't know the charging infrastructure that exists across America was a penalty to Volkswagen for the diesel fiasco they had. So do you think Volkswagen's all in on charging America when they're only doing it because they're being forced to do it? Like, this stuff isn't rocket science. But now you have government regulations pushing manufacturers to do things that aren't going to be widely accepted by most consumers. And now you're in a position where you look at the EV market and you go, well, this can go poorly. And very quickly, it could be a problem. We have a hard time in the car business living in the real world. The car business has come 100 years in building an internal combustion engine. Why not find out how we can use battery technology to go to 30 miles a gallon to 75 miles a gallon? That would be a big leap. Instead, we're talking about going from 35 miles a gallon to no gas in the car with nothing in between. So where does this all end up? The manufacturers are going to have to go to war with the government. They're going to have to get the government to back down. But Ford can't tell its shareholders we're going to dump $12 billion into something that makes $0 and, matter of fact, loses every dollar that we ever put into the damn thing. I mean, for them to come out, and in, in already cut production on the Ford Lightning, like slash it in half for 2024, tells you how bad it is. And they're basically trying to give away Ford Lightnings at dealerships. I mean, there's some of these Ford Lightnings that are $20,000, $25,000 off. They still can't sell them. They're just piling up on dealerships. Because it turns out not everybody wants an electric truck, and that's okay. So build them or don't build them. Or find a middle ground to get more fuel economy out of trucks and cars and stop worrying about the inevitable of 20 years down the road, we're going to be fully electric. You'll get there when you get there. But this idea by 2035, the GM CEO says we're not going to have a gas vehicle. Okay, well, you're not going to have a business either. People don't want to buy them. And now what people don't talk about with electric vehicles is, the used market doesn't trust that the battery is going to last. So you can't sell these on the used market. So it's a basic one-use function. The guy or gal that buys it drives it around for X number of miles. In the used market, they don't trust that they can buy them. I wouldn't trust that I could buy an electric vehicle used. I mean, I may try it, but I'd be thinking to myself, this thing could blow up at any moment. So you're trying to change the fundamentals of the business and lifespan of the cars. You build an internal combustion engine that gets taken care of. If you look at the old Dodge truck we have in our fleet here, it's a 2003 with 250 plus thousand miles on it. I could still go sell that on the open market for five or $6,000 and somebody could go get another five to 10 years of use out of it if they take care of it. An electric vehicle being one and done, which is basically what we're seeing now, is that the used market doesn't want to buy these electric vehicles. And you want to tell me you have it all figured out when the infrastructure and then all the long-term things of cars is not figured out? That doesn't work. That doesn't work. And that's why I said everybody, just like with autopilot, just like your car is going to drive itself, just like all these things, that when we talk on this podcast, I say that's not going to happen. 
It's not because I'm not trying to see something cool happen. It's because I have two brain cells in my head and I go, ah, this doesn't add up. And I'm not a hater of electric vehicles. They're great to drive around. If I had an if, if I knew an electric vehicle could get me back and forth to Arizona, get me all the way down to San Diego and back on a road trip, I would have electric vehicles at my house. Now, I may have an electric vehicle because I have eight other vehicles that I have access to through my company trucks and the, and the vehicles that I own. An electric vehicle is not a pain in the neck for me. But if it's your only car, if it's your only mode of transportation, you're going to tell me that that's a convenient way to live when you can't even take a four-hour road trip without worrying that you got to stop and, and charge for two hours? It's not there. And it's okay that it's not there. Like we, we need to stop putting all of this pressure on things like it has to be done today or it has to be done in the next five years. How about we do it when the technology's there? And so Ford now having to back out of this, GM's going to have to back out of this. And the one person, one company that's, that's, that's really stuck is Stellantis who owns Dodge and, and Jeep and Chrysler. They're going to have to back out. But they're so incompetent on their supply issues who knows where they end up? It was announced, I think, this week or last week, the Macan from Porsche is going to go all EV. Who the hell wants to buy a Porsche that's EV? I had the first Taycan in the U.S., and it literally fried itself at a stoplight within a week. Nothing against Porsche, but the only reason to drive a Porsche is for their engineering of their engines. It's not their battery technology. They don't own that. Or you're supposed to believe they're developing their own. No, they're going to go to battery companies, bring those people in and label it theirs. And magically, we're supposed to understand that, you know, LG's not building everybody's battery technology and we all have it figured out. No, you don't. So you're taking all of these unique things of these manufacturers and you're making them obsolete. Who the hell wants to drive an electric Porsche? Not me. The only special thing about Porsche is the engine quality. The rest of it's very pedestrian. What's Porsche going to sell me if they have an electric vehicle that's just like everyone else? Because I can tell you this, the Taycan's not that special. You get in it, the space is way off. The, the experience isn't that great. It sits entirely too low to the ground. What are we doing here? We're not using common sense. So let's go over some car stuff, though. Don't want to just harp on the EV thing. Used car prices right now are really interesting. If you go back to, I think, the beginning of summer, I, I, I did an episode where I said, wait until November and December to buy a used car. Turns out the data was right that I had. We're looking at used car prices being down anywhere between 8 and 20% just in the last 45 to 60 days, depending on the make and model. What are we seeing here? Supply of new cars is up. The supply of used cars is up. Repos are starting to catch up and flood into the market. This is wholesale data. Okay, so the used market, for all of you, you know, that are trying to figure out how you get this data, the used car market is judged on wholesale prices through auctions. And there's something called the Black Book. They kind of monitor this. Prices are supposed to fall this time of year on used cars about 0.5%. They've been following per week, okay, during this time of year. They're following a whole percentage point above that, okay? They're following 1.5%, 1.8%, 1.9%. They are really elevated. And matter of fact, I think over the last 60 days, 
This has been the sharpest decline in prices on used cars in the history that Black Book has been around. But I want to kind of bring this into perspective, though. There were a lot of cars in the used car market overvalued 25, 50, 60 percent, if not 70 percent or more. So if we get an 8 percent decline in used car prices, but it was already overvalued 50 percent, it's still overvalued 42 percent. Right. So we have a long way to fall here to see any normalcy. Will we ever see complete normalcy? I'm not sure. I'm not sure because the Federal Reserve that controls money and lends, you know, the lending of money and, and what percentage that's going to be is indicating that next year they're going to lower the rates back down. If they lower the rates back down, it's more affordable to buy a house, more affordable to buy a car. Will we see another boom in those pricing, pricing of homes or pricing of cars? I, I really don't know. I don't think anybody can predict. But I can tell you, it would worry me if you need a used car, November, December, January is probably the time if you're in the financial position to actually pull the trigger on that. Because who knows if they start lowering rates, what we're going to see the consumer do, because we know the consumers are insane about cars and houses. They'll just overpay. It doesn't matter to them. Look at all the cars that were overpaid for in the last three to four years, the Corvette market, the Porsche market. The, uh, the, the Telluride market, the Palisade market, large SUV market, everybody was willing to overpay. You look at Corvette, it was probably 50, 60% above what it should be selling for. If the rates go back down, people feel more comfortable borrowing money. Maybe we're in a situation we see prices go up, but I think the supply is getting back in order. But you got a long way to fall here. You have a long way to fall. So let's let's go over some new car data to kind of put this all in perspective. A year ago, we had 1.09 million new cars for sale at a 37-day supply, which means the amount of days that are sitting on the lot, how long could you go if you didn't build another car, basically? They had 37 days worth of supply on average at a price of $46,500 on the average price. Now, here's the interesting data. This time, right now, this year, we have 2.4 million cars for sale, a 67-day supply, which is damn near double the supply on the market. But here's the interesting point. The average price is $47,200. So basically $1,000 more. Still tells you things are out of whack still tells you dealers aren't actually doing what they're supposed to do and start lowering prices because supply is up. So everybody that tells you it's a supply and demand issue, this proves to you it isn't. Supply almost doubles or actually more than doubles and the price of an average car goes up $1,000. So don't tell me the car market is a supply and demand issue if we have all these cars on the market, tons of supply, lower demand, and we have a $1,000 price increase. Now, here's what's come back into the new car market for all of you looking for a car or you just want to analyze what's going on for customers or whatever it is you're doing. The incentives are back. You're seeing 0% financing, no payment for 90 days. You're seeing uh, 10 to 15% off these list prices. Okay, Jeep for sure and different manufacturers. Lincoln has some of these deals. So the incentives are coming back. 
and they're coming back because they need to move the car. And so you sit in this position and you go, the car market today is still out of whack. It's still out of whack. It doesn't mean it's as out of whack as it was a year and a half ago. And we're seeing some normalcy come back into the market. But here we are with 1.3 million more vehicles for sale in the new car side. And somehow dealerships and manufacturers are raising the average price. That should not happen in a true quote unquote supply and demand based market. So we still have some price manipulation. We still have some things going on. We still have all of these different things happening. And one of the things that's happening is base models of most cars are not available for purchase. Most manufacturers are selling top tier trim models and not stocking or building very many base models of cars anymore. That's one of the reasons that we're seeing the price increase, even though we're seeing oversupply in the market. We're not very far from 90 days plus supply on the open market, okay? We should see this price go from 46,000 last year in average price, probably to down to somewhere in $36,000. We didn't see that. We saw it go up 1,000. How the hell does that happen? You see the manipulation of the price. And, and part of the thing hidden in that price is most manufacturers are only stocking or giving stock to their dealerships of the highest trim models. This is going to be the future. If, if, if the consumer doesn't revolt against pricing, they're going to get you on these quote unquote upgraded trim models. And most of you have been in those cars and you go, this is only a thousand bucks above, you know, to me, the trim model should be a thousand dollar upcharge. Well, they're charging another 10,000 for that upcharge. And that stuff is still out of whack. You get in a Toyota Camry and then you get into the non-base model one level up and it's a $5,000 upcharge and it's like, you know, $300 in parts. It, do it doesn't make sense. I know why they're doing it because people love to believe they're getting the highest trim model. But what you're doing is you're pricing a lot of people out of the market as well. And so we still have a lot to go to understand where this thing's going to even itself out. Right, We know EVs production is going to be cut. We know new car supply is through the roof. Dodge is in a real shambles. They're, they have some cars that have 500 days worth of supply on the market. I mean, I have no idea what they're going to do except start to fire sale some cars. I really don't know. I, I'd love to tell all of you I know. I don't. Their, their inventory control is not there. They, they essentially have two years worth of inventory on the market, which is unheard of. I mean, even in the worst of times, that's never happened. And so what we have is dealerships are trying to hold on to these elevated prices. Manufacturers are trying to hold on to these elevated prices. And the question is, when does it give out? You know, Honda, Toyota, Subaru, those companies, they're not, they're, they're actually still pretty low inventory, but everyone else is creeping towards we're going to have to make a call to fire sale these cars. Because remember, the 2024 models are supposed to be coming in January. So essentially, you don't want to be sitting on any 2023s. Well, Dodge has two years of 2022 and 2023s stacking up all over their dealership lots. So now you're going to release 2024 
your supply is going to get even worse. So when are you going to take the hit and go ahead and say, hey, we're fire selling these vehicles? It hasn't happened. There's a little discount, 10% off, 15% off. Some of these cars need to be discounted at 50% off. Will we see that? I have no idea. Should we? Yes, we should. Yes, we should. Will we? I have no idea. But I think it's interesting. So I wanted to catch you guys up. We haven't done one of these episodes in a while. We're getting towards the end of the year. If you're looking for a car, maybe a good time to start shopping. Maybe a good time to start shopping. We just took delivery of a 2024 Range Rover autobiography, white, camel interior. It's, it's awesome. Had no trouble getting it. Needed to do it for one of my customers. Love it. The vehicle's unbelievable. White with black wheels, camel interior. We're not having issues get cars anymore. I can get whatever we want in, in, in five seconds, it seems like. But they're still trying to get that top dollar. So I don't know when all this really starts to hit hard, if it does at all. But most cars are still somewhere between 20 and 40, 50% overpriced in a lot of the different types of brands. The question is, are they going to take a bath on them? And, and only they know that. They, they have to figure out the exit plan. I have no idea, but... I, I think if things were normal and this was true supply and demand, Dodge would be 50% off today because they have so much supply, but they're not taking a bath. Lincoln would be taking a bath. They're not taking a bath. So what are we doing? I, I don't really know. I don't really know. But to say, I hear a lot of people saying things are getting back to normal. I just gave you the numbers that say we're not back to normal. So you got to be smart when you're out there talking about cars, thinking about buying a car to see the market for what it is, not what somebody told you it was. And these are just straight facts that aren't my opinion. How do you have 1.2 million, 1.2 million more cars to sell on the lots right now than last year. And somehow the price is up a thousand dollars on average. That makes no sense whatsoever. None whatsoever. And, and, and that's, that's just where we're at. It doesn't make any sense from a logical supply and demand issue. And so keep that in mind here over the next few months. All right, guys, I want to talk a little business here. We're at the end of 2023. 2024 is a few weeks away. And so the thing that we're all told to do is make goals for your business or for your personal life for 2024. That's probably some of the worst advice I've ever been given because the most important part of the advice is left out. For three years when I started my business, my first three years, I really struggled with this because I didn't realize what I should be doing. Making goals for the following year or for the next year is a great idea. But it's only a great idea if you, would, if you do a different exercise first, which is analyze your 2023. How much money did you bring in? How much money did you spend on your business? How much money did you spend on marketing? What were your insurance costs? What'd you do great? What'd you fail at during the year? What worked? What didn't work? What marketing efforts did we try? Which ones worked so we can double and triple down on them next year? Which ones failed? That's the exercise that you have to do before setting goals. So the way that it hurt me my first three years in business is I would get to the end of the year and I'd just make goals for next year. 
but I wouldn't analyze what worked in, in 2023, or I wouldn't analyze what worked in my business the previous year, or what I failed at. What goals did I fall short on? The reason people don't tell you to do this is largely they're just given BS information, but the second part of it is really simple. This is a really hard exercise because you're going to have to tell the truth to yourself privately about the things you failed at. And by the way, you fail every year. There's certain things you try, they don't work. There's certain things you do, they don't work. It's nothing to get all down on yourself, but it is important to be honest so you don't double down on those things that continue to fail. So before you set your goals for the following year, you have to analyze what went on this year, what worked, what didn't work, where your expenses are, where your revenue's at. There's many people that run a business that can't tell you off the top of their head what their revenue is for the year. We're, in, we're, we're December 16th today. You should be able to tell me off the top of your head, in my opinion, where's your revenue for the year right now? Because you're at the end of the year. It's an important number. If you had a goal to do a million dollars, but you did $100,000, it's important to go back and reflect why you didn't make that extra $900,000 in revenue before you set some BS goal for 2024. This is how business is actually operated. But you go on the internet and everybody's like, hey, let's, let's talk about 2024. Let's talk about our goals for 20. No, no, let's talk about what we did in 2023. What did we do this year? What was great? What was average? What was poor? This is a couple hour, two, three hour exercise. So let me, let me give you guys some insight into what I do. So because my companies are of a certain size, this exercise actually starts in about October for HyperClean and October for VR. And I start by talking to my financial team. Tell me exactly where we're at. Tell me exactly what we've done well, what we've spent, what we've made, where our costs are, all of those different types of things. And so one of the things that people oftentimes, why they don't want to do this is they're worried they're going to find out they spent too much money. At least this is what the financial people tell me. People are scared to realize that they've overspent or they've screwed up somehow, and so they just sweep it under the rug. And that's an option. Or you could just say, hey, I'm going to figure out where I'm at, and I'm going to have a better 2024 because of it. But there's an as aspect of expenditures that many business owners don't think about is you also have to analyze your personal expenses when you're doing this exercise. Because when you're a business owner of a certain size, your personal expenses leak into your business. And so if I have three car payments at home and my business is under stress because of it, if I don't analyze those three things that are causing me so much stress, then I'm not actually going to get to the right answer. And so you can't be scared to look at your failures and the things that you've struggled with in the current year before setting your goals for the following year. This sounds really basic. But I screwed it up for three years when I started my business, and I never analyzed the current year and what I did. And I find that when I come across all of this getting prepared for 2024 advice, nobody talks about analyzing what you did well and what you did poorly during the current year. And so before you go and set goals for the next year, 
understand where you're at for this year, what you did well, what you did poorly, what you can improve on, what you need to dump. Why have I not been good at hiring? Maybe I'm not paying enough. And I'm not paying enough because I have a ton of personal expenditures that are taking all the money out of my business because I need to make sure my home is in order and we got three car payments and a house we can't afford and now I can't pay my people and my business what I need and so I always keep having trouble hiring because my personal expenditures are out of control. Now you see why you know analyzing your business from that year is important to making a goal for the next year. It's not easy. It's actually pretty painful once you start doing it, but then it just becomes normal after a year or two. And you're going to learn some hard lessons about how you run your business and be like, yeah, I could have done that better. That's all right. That's what you want. For all of you that want to get better, this is a necessary exercise. I get some people are just like, ah, I just go with the flow. Cool, man. That's not what ultra successful business owners do, but do it your way. I thought I would share this today because... I set myself back my first three years of business because I didn't actually know how to do this properly. I didn't know how to set up my goals for the next year because, again, largely nobody talks about it. So I thought I would share it on today's episode. So I hope everybody got something out of this episode. We'll talk to you next week.